Good morning and welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Karen Schofield Lega. My pronouns are per and hers, short for person, and I am the officiant today. We are here for hybrid platform, and it's even more hybrid than usual this morning. So uh, we will have grace and forgiveness and learning all together this morning. We have people attending live on Zoom, some folks here in person in the hall, and asynchronously by watching or listening to the recording later. Welcome to everyone. We are one community unified across time and space as we gather to affirm our values and commit to a better world. We are still figuring out how to do hybrid platforms, so let's learn from our mistakes and forgive each other generously. There's a closed captioning option on Zoom that can be turned on or off, and the chat will stay open through much of the platform service, closing for the address itself and then reopening. If you're joining live on Zoom, please do say hello in the chat to each other. We are having difficulty and so can't really see the chat here in the hall, but you can greet each other online. And those in the hall could perhaps wave and call out hellos to each other here in the room. Um, if you set your settings, if you're on Zoom, so a word to the Zoom book, if you put your settings to everyone, then everybody in the Zoom space can see your remarks and greet you directly. Um, please do say hello, whether you are a brand new visitor, a longtime member, a neighbor from another ethical society or Unitarian Universalist congregation, or a person who's not in any one of those categories. Online visitors, we invite you to send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, who's doing double duty this morning, at maceot at ethicalsociety.org. And if you're a visitor watching this recording later, this invitation is for you as well. You can fill out a connection form at tiny.cc slash westconnects. Um, I'm not going to read readings from the folks in the Zoom space, which are in the chat, but I'll give everybody a pause for a moment to reflect, look at those if they are interested. And while I'm doing that, you might also get a candle if you would like to light one during our candle lighting service. And again, good morning to everybody who is actually here in the room. It is so good to see you today. It is good to connect and to share this time together. Once you are prepared, I invite you to settle in wherever you are as we continue to gather. Our opening words this morning are a reading from Scott Taylor from the Soul Matters Packet, Widening the Circle, which was created in February 2022. Lynn and I are gonna do this together. Is it possible that being on the inside leaves you out of the loop? What if the margins aren't narrow? What if that space of exclusion is also a position of perspective? What if being shut out allows you to understand the insiders better than they understand themselves? Why do so many seek the safety of that inner circle anyway? Don't we know that the circles not only keep others out, but also in the air. Haven't we learned that it's on the edge of circles that fate makes its home? 
So even if you weren't among the ones who put the circle in place by allowing it to linger, don't you carry the burden of responsibility as well? What if who we are doesn't end at the barriers of our own skin? What if sin is believing that you can put the puzzle together with only the pieces that belong to you? What if heaven is the moment you realize that none of us can get there alone? What if the only true freedom lies in the willingness to fight against that which imprisons someone else? And what if all these questions are a matter of life and death? Or is it a matter of dying to live? After all, didn't the Nazarene say we must lose our life in order to find it? Haven't all the sages said the solitary self must perish for the larger we to live? If that is true, then let's widen the circle until it breaks. For as long as the circle exists, pieces and parts of ourselves will always lie on the other side of the line. So let us push, pull, twist and tear, dig underneath and climb over the top, do whatever it takes to meet each other face to face. And having found each other, let us stare and struggle, fight and forgive, call in and call out until me and you dissolves into us. Is there any other way we can become whole? We begin our platform with music from Amanda Edith Kessler, performed by Ken Jansen.
Each week, we read our statement of purpose as a reminder of our shared values. If you're interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc readsop. You can record a video of yourself reading the statement of purpose, if that works better for you, or you can present the statement of purpose alongside us as we broadcast live. If you're relatively new to our community or haven't been active as much recently. It's a great way to introduce or reintroduce yourself. Today's leader is Susan Runner, a member of the Leader Search Committee. And I invite you to stay tuned until the end of the platform for an update from the Search Committee. But for right now, Susan, the microphone is yours. Thank you, Karen. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique care capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you so much, Susan. And if you're joining us from afar and have a candle at home, I invite you to light it now as Susan lights our community candle and I share our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion the light of understanding and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Today's platform is part of our theme of awakening, including awakening to change and acceptance. Today's time for all ages has something to say about that. Hello friends, my name is Lynn Cox. My pronouns are they, them. I am the interim leader here at the Washington Ethical Society. Our story today is about a community that accepted and encouraged someone. And that acceptance was included, it wasn't limited to gender identity. The community also demonstrated love and forgiveness and celebration of the human ability to grow and learn in other ways. So I'm going to be reading Casey's Ball, written by Kit Yan with illustrations by Holly McGillis. This book is part of the Flamingo Rampant collection. Flamingo Rampant is a micropress with a mission to produce feminist, racially diverse, LGBTQ positive children's books. So this is a fictional book, but I know, and I bet a lot of you know, kids who are a lot like Casey. So I don't know if the story happened exactly this way, but I believe it's true. I don't know if you can get the slides on the screen there. I'm Casey, and I'm joining a soccer team today. I used to be on the girls' team, and my uniform was blue. 
But now that everyone knows I'm a boy, I'm switching to the boys team and getting this new green one instead. I've been practicing. I'm learning to run faster. I'm learning to kick farther. And one day I'm going to score a goal. Every day after school, I practice in my yard. Sometimes my brother and sister help me kick the ball back and forth. I can't kick the ball very far yet, but I'm getting better. At soccer practice, we line up and take turns kicking the ball in the goal. I've been trying my best to get a goal, but I fall a lot when I use my mightiest kick. My coach says, keep practicing, dude. You'll get it soon. On the day of my first game, I'm so excited. My team is the Lizards, and we have a cheer. So I'll tell it to you, and then you can say it with me. We're the great green lizards, and we love to play. We're the great green lizards, and today is our day. See if you can pick that up. We're the great green lizards, and we love to play. We're the great green lizards, and today is our day. When the ball comes to me during the game, I kick as hard as I can. Sometimes my hair gets into my eyes. And when it does, I miss the ball, and someone else kicks it. But I know I can get a goal if I try my best. So I get back up and kick again. My sister gives me her hair tie so I can see the ball. My mom tells me ponytails are for any kid, boys or girls or neither or both. I run my hardest. I run my fastest. And when I see the ball, I kick so hard and I get a goal. But I kicked it into our goal. Oh no, I scored a goal against my own team. The other team gets the point. We lose the game because of me. I asked my coach if I could still be on the boys' team. He says, keep trying and keep learning. You're doing great, Casey. We're glad to have you on our team. After the game, everyone still cheers. Can you remember the cheer? We're the great green lizards and we love to play. We're the great green lizards and today is our day. I was worried, but no one is mad at me that we lost the game. My family gives me big hugs. And both teams high, line up to high five each other. All the kids and families go to the pizza shop to celebrate the game. We eat pizza and ice cream. My sister says, Casey, you played with all your heart. And my brother says, baby brother, you kicked like a champion. I can't wait to play soccer again. I love my new green uniform with my name on it. I love my new teammates. Soccer is fun and being on a team is the best part. At the pizza shop, we do our team cheer one more time. Will you say it with me? We're the great green lizards and we love to play. We're the great green lizards and today is our day. So that's the end of the story. I really love how Casey's teammates and coach and family encourage Casey to learn and grow and have fun. When kids are allowed to play, there are some great things that they can learn about supporting others, 
about growing from mistakes and persevering. That's why it's important that kids can play on school teams if they want to, whatever their gender. For any of us at any age, we can learn from Casey's team how to be encouraging and welcoming. Anybody here on a team right now? Are you on an auction team or a tech team or a greeter and usher team? All of our teams can learn how to be encouraging and welcoming. We can wake up to the gifts and the hearts of the people around us. So as we consider the benefits of awakening, let's enter into the centering time of our platform. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I'm particularly mindful that this past Thursday, March 31st, was Transgender Day of Visibility. This is an annual awareness dedicated to centering, celebrating, and uplifting the contributions, successes, and relentless resilience of transgender and gender nonconforming people while also raising awareness of the struggles that they face and the work that still needs to be done to achieve justice and equity for trans folks. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us open our hearts to compassion for those who suffer. And let us commit ourselves to the work that calls for our love. I invite you now into a time of meditation. Allow your body to settle into a position of ease. Close your eyes or soften your gaze and let your thoughts soften as well. Bring your awareness to your breath and take three deep breaths relaxing your body on each exhalation. Allow both your mind and your body to be fully relaxed and just rest here. Take a moment to think about yourself and how you wish to be known in the world. 
Is that how you are actually perceived? How often is your self-concept positively reflected by others? Often, sometimes, rarely? And how does that feel? In what ways are you truly acknowledged? And in what ways are you not fully seen or accepted? And do you fully accept others as they wish to be known? How must society change to embrace the fullness of you? What role can you play in that transformation for yourself and for others? How can you cultivate mutual support to make these changes a reality? We continue our meditation in silence and in the music that follows. Thank you. 
Our reading this morning is entitled, Dear Trans, Non-Binary, Gender Queer, and Gender Expansive Friends and Kin, and Those of Us Whose Gender is Survival, by Reverend Teresa Newman Soto. You are not hard to love and respect. Your existence is a blessing. Your pronouns are not a burden or a trial. They are part of your name, just shorter. Some of our kin use only their names. Their pronouns would be the names they are called. Remember that someone getting them wrong is not a poor reflection on you. It is not your fault. Your body really and truly belongs to you, no one else. Your stories belong to you. Your joy and complexity is beautiful, however you may choose to tell it or not tell it. Some folks, sis, may take their liberty for an unholy license. You are beloved. Please keep to our shared tasks of healing, getting free. Thanks, Karen. It's good to be together online and in person. Seeing a lot of resilience today as the internet in our building is out. It's causing all kinds of new skills to emerge from us. So as we heard earlier, Thursday was Trans Day of Visibility and this day was envisioned in 2009 by Rachel Crandall. Trans Day of Visibility celebrates the contributions and achievements of transgender people. And that can include a, a variety of a wide umbrella of people under the, of the larger trans community, uh, gender non-conforming people, agender people, non-binary people, and more intersex people sometimes fall under or in coalition with the trans umbrella, uh, but how they identify is up to them. As Mother Jones said, we pray for the dead and we fight like hell for the living. In the wake of Trans Day of Visibility, I'm asking us to gather up our collective strength and courage and to fight like hell. The urgent need and the joyful calling of celebrating and defending trans lives is a large topic. So we're gonna have a lot of different entry points to this discussion among us. And there are several tasks for us to share. We need to comfort, encourage, and celebrate the transgender, non-binary, 
gender fabulous, gender non-conforming, and otherwise gender diverse among us. And I, like I said, I would include all of those with the umbrella of the broader trans community. And that includes some of our young people at West who need to know that the community around them loves them fiercely and that the community will demonstrate that love with concrete action. So my siblings, you are radiant in all of your ways of being and doing and knowing. Another shared task is that we need to sustain and equip the allies who have been in this fight all along. And we need to provide urgently overdue background information and context for our beloved cisgender folks who are just beginning their work in allyship and advocacy. Though there are many paths, we must be resolved and united in our goals. We cannot be silent as right-wing activists with billions of dollars and positions in every legislature in this country take a jackhammer to the bedrock of the inherent worth and dignity of every person. We cannot be silent as school policies and curricula and children's books that celebrate diversity and inclusion are framed by right-wing politicians as grooming children for abuse. We cannot be silent when state laws are passed that criminalize the implementation of standards set by the American Medical Association. We cannot be silent as the right to privacy, the right to medical care, the right to equal access to education, the right of kids to simply be able to play are all under brazen attack. This is an emergency. And so forward we go. This year, somewhere between 130 and 200 bills were introduced in state legislatures. State legislatures, this year alone, between 130 and 200 bills were introduced to attack trans people, especially trans youth. This is a coordinated attack funded by organizations with innocuous sounding names like the Family Research Council, the Family Policy Alliance, Focus on the Family, and the Alliance Defending Freedom. Flush with cash from billionaires like the family of Betsy DeVos, they feed copycat bills to multiple state legislatures simultaneously, like a hydra of hate. And this is on top of attacks that go beyond legislatures like the Texas Governor Abbott's decision to investigate parents of trans youth for child abuse. The hateful bills in this cycle fall into three general categories, youth sports, healthcare, and so-called parents' rights. In the youth sports category, the main target is banning transgender athletes from girls' sports. Maryland residents should know that such a bill was introduced in the Maryland state legislature this year. And it didn't make it out of committee, but that it was entertained at all should make us cautious and should make us vigilant to what's going on in school boards and PTAs and communities around the state. Like other anti-trans legislation, bills that seek to ban transgender youth from playing organized sports rely on misinformation and fear, as well as the tepid support of otherwise progressive people. Hateful bills that are framed as protecting women's athletics are never really about protecting or helping women. 
The rhetoric paints cisgender women as helpless and transgender people as predators. Those who promulgate these bills want to scare you with the possibility of a trans takeover, the fear of cisgender women getting pushed out of a limited number of opportunities, and the actual numbers do not support that claim. Participation in girls and women's sports either holds steady or increases with inclusive policies, while discriminatory policies are sometimes correlated with lower participation in girls and women's sports. If you really want to protect women's sports, there are some other obvious avenues. The Women's Sports Federation Foundation writes, the false rhetoric taking hold is a distraction to the real threats to girls and women in sports, such as a lack of Title IX understanding and compliance, inequity and in compensation, resources, sponsorship and media attention, harassment and abuse of female athletes and women working in sports, the list goes on. In other words, sports for girls and women need more funding and resources not to be places of humiliation and scrutiny, as those who want to erase the existence of transgender people use this excuse to harass the athletes that arouse their suspicion. Being actively exclusive rather than inclusive is harmful to team unity and undermines the very values that can make athletics a positive experience for any student. An ACLU article on the topic quotes a position on the myth that trans athletes somehow have an unfair advantage. A person's genetic makeup and internal and external reproductive anatomy are not useful indicators of athletic performance, according to Dr. Joshua D. Safer. For a trans woman athlete who meets NCAA standards, there is no inherent reason why her physiological characteristics related to athletic performance should be treated differently from the physiological characteristics of a non-transgender woman. That's the end of that quote from Dr. Safer. The undertone of misinformation about athletes communicates this idea that transgender people aren't really human. At least that's how the hateful rhetoric goes. And it's worth pointing out that the high-performing athletes and the crosshairs of conservative crusades are very often women of color, including women of color who, was, who were assigned female at birth. Trying to push some women out of the definition of womanhood or personhood goes way back. It is an old strategy. And it never leads to more liberation or opportunities. Strict ideas about gender are tied up with white supremacy. Excluding trans students from sports not only has a negative impact on all athletes, it has a devastating impact on the mental health and well-being of trans students. The cruelty is part of the point. Erasing trans people from community life is part of the point. Affirming trans youth in their gender and all of the ways that youth normally live out their teen and young adult years is critical to their health. Exclusion and harassment puts trans youth at risk for bullying, targeted violence, self-harm, and other risk factors that impede their success. Affirming youth helps them to grow into the fullness of who they can become. And this is why fighting anti-trans policy and legislation gets to the heart of our mission as humanists. We believe in humans as ends in themselves. Anti-trans sports legislation makes athletes into pawns in a culture war. Humanists believe in self-determination while anti-trans rhetoric is built on the assumption that the bodies of all of us, except the rich white men at the top, don't really belong to ourselves. 
Humanists understand that this is a world of interrelatedness, a world in which humans and the planet we share are connected and mutually affected and that our thriving rises together. The anti-trans radical right sees a world in all of its living things as something that they need to control. Humanist philosophy rests on the assumption that each person has inherent worth and dignity, inherent, that doesn't need to be proven. And the anti-trans crusade seeks to erode the perception of worth and the experience of dignity away from everyone who dares to practice independence from their worldview. Trans rights are human rights and humanists are called to defend human rights. The second category of anti-trans legislation is bans on healthcare. And most of these bans are on healthcare for youth, but some go even further in criminalizing trans-affirming care. Medical experts agree that gender-affirming care is life-saving care. These bans go directly against the standards of the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. The rhetoric of this hateful legislation is again fueled by misinformation about what trans affirming care looks like and especially what it looks like for youth. Actual medical experts are on the side of trans youth seeking health care. For instance, the American Medical Association views these bills as a dangerous legislative intrusion, intrusion into the practice of medicine. In a collective statement, numerous professional associations of medical and mental health providers go on to say that these bills and policies seeking to prevent youth from accessing gender-affirming care put trans youth at severe risk for negative mental health outcomes, including suicide. Denying care will not make trans youth become cisgender youth. It will make them miserable and it could threaten their lives. And that's part of the point. This legislation seeks to erase trans kids to make them not exist. Trans kids do exist. They are precious and beautiful and amazing people of inherent worth, and they need adults to show up for them. It should not be lost on us that these healthcare bans represent just another attempt by conservative legislator, legislators to get in between people and their medical providers when it comes to private medical decisions. The philosophy underpinning these bills is that our bodies need to be controlled by a theocratic system that demands submission to authority. It is not an accident that this is the same line of reasoning behind attacks on abortion care. The attacks are part of the same strategy funded by the same multi-billion dollar hate groups. In the podcast, The Anti-Trans Hate Machine, journalist Amara Jones traces the origins of these bills and the power behind the legislators that introduced them. She learned about a right-wing conference in 2019 called the Summit on Protecting Children from Sexualization. So let's unpack that title. The assumption is that when we communicate acceptance to children, when we provide gender-affirming care, when we practice inclusivity in school and sports, that that is grooming children for abuse. That's the rhetoric. Anytime we communicate that something outside the conservative heteropatriarchal norm is okay, they say that is sexual abuse or grooming for sexual abuse. 
So back to this conference in 2019, it was organized by the Family Policy Alliance, which is a spinoff from Focus on the Family, a brainchild of James Dobson. So now over 60 right-wing organizations with ties to Dobson's legacy have come together under, under an umbrella called Promise to America's Children with support from the Heritage Foundation. And you remember the Heritage Foundation, some of their greatest hits include the 1976 attack on secular humanism in schools. They're also coordinating attacks on critical race theory. So humanists everywhere have an interest in stopping whatever the Heritage Foundation is into. Through market research, these right-wing organizations found that attacking trans people would be a productive wedge issue to help them advance their agenda of dismantling civil rights in general. And so that's where they put a lot of their time and money and resources. Because many cisgender people don't know a lot about gender affirming care, the market was and is wide open for misinformation. These organizations have a lot of practice in framing their efforts for domination as protecting the innocence and purity of children. They knew that they could find success in targeting healthcare for youth. It is important that we not fall for their version of the story. Learn more from reliable sources, like the American Medical Association or the American Academy of Pediatrics, or from trans-led organizations, like the Transgender Education Network of Texas or the Transgender Law Center. Stay vigilant about healthcare access, including questions of funding, clinic regulation, and legal documentation requirements that might be attempts to block healthcare in disguise. So let's follow the lead of medical and mental health experts and the organizations led by trans people themselves and demand that district, state, and national governments protect access to healthcare for trans youth. The third category of anti-trans legislation that's sweeping the country are so-called parents' rights bills. And these are bills that might not even say anything directly about gender identity or sexual orientation but they're designed to cut off access to safe places and accepting atmospheres for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and especially trans youth. The rhetoric behind these bills and policies can be very seductive if you're not paying attention. Shouldn't parents get to decide what children learn about sex? Wouldn't you want to know if your kid came out as trans? But remember that for conservatives, learning that it's okay to have parents of the same gender or learning that transgender people exist is equivalent to teaching kindergartners about sex. The story we heard earlier, Casey's ball could not be read in classrooms where these bills and policies are in effect. To conservatives, teaching accurate names for body parts and teaching children that they get to have a say in who touches them, giving them age appropriate sex education is grooming them for abuse. Misinformation is everywhere, and part of what we can do is learn the truth and to speak the truth. And we also need to remember that some parents literally are abusive. If school or the medical clinic is the one safe place where a kid can be their whole selves, parents' rights bills cut off their access to safety. If a kid knows that they will be sent away to so-called conversion therapy 
or physically abused or kicked out of the house if their parents found out. It puts lives at risk to require reporting to parents about sexual orientation and gender identity. So these three categories of bills, sports, medical care, parents' rights, all share the goals of erasing transgender people, forcing them out of community life. And there are many ways to resist what Amara Jones calls the anti-trans hate machine. Sam Ames, Director of Advocacy and Government Affairs for the Trevor Project said in a training I attended recently, in a war of attrition like this, keeping people alive is the revolution. And that means communities like West, where we practice acceptance and inclusion are important. When you volunteer to teach children and youth, you are saving lives. When you show up week after week so that young queer people and straight and cis people, when young people can be surrounded by a stable community, you are saving lives. When you make a financial pledge that is as generous as is congruent with your well-being, you are saving lives. Hateful institutions are sustained by millionaires and billionaires. We are all we've got, and we need to sustain our own institutions of acceptance, support, and mission-driven humanist action. Sam Ames also said that we need to take joy in whatever form it comes. If we have a momentary win, a judicial injunction that might last 20 minutes, we celebrate for 20 minutes. We cannot let anyone steal our joy. While we do need to take strategic action, I'm gonna say more about that in a minute, we also need to keep ourselves human. So let's be vessels of humanity. Let's listen and support each other. Let's practice kindness and cultivate mindfulness. Joy and gratitude are acts of resistance. In addition to practicing gratitude and joy and sustaining the institutions that live out values of inherent worth and inclusion, there are organized and targeted actions we can take. Check out the Unitarian Universalist Association's Side with Love Action Center. There are options for lots of different levels of commitment on several issues, including climate, voting rights and decriminalization, as well as LGBTQ and gender justice. You can sign up for a webinar or a skill up for leadership training or do phone banking or text banking with an online group of comrades, or you can sign on to a petition. Go to sidewithlove.org to learn more. Before I close, I wanna practice some of that joy and gratitude with you all. As a community that affirms and includes lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people, you know that congregational humanism has learned a lot from this community. LGBTQ folks bring long-standing practices of creating family and community wherever we find it, building collages and mosaics out of the reimagining of what has come before. Our dignity does not rely on the legislative atmosphere. We know that frameworks of bodily autonomy, shared liberation, Mutual care and interdependence are the ones that give us life. And there is room in these frameworks for everyone. There is a lot to do, and there's urgency in our work. Being part of the movement, being with the people who are working for a world of love and justice, 
brings us some of the hope and energy to keep going. We need each other. So let us go forward with clarity of our humanist values, with gratitude for the ancestors and activists of the past and the young leaders of today, and with joy that we are equipped and called to lift up the inherent worth of every person. May it be so. After some music, we'll have community sharing time when you can write into the chat or speak into the microphone about what resonated with you today in the platform. Uh, in this in-between time, you might prepare for community sharing by reflecting on a personal experience or an activity of Wes that illustrates the values that we're lifting up today. So as we contemplate rest and reflect, let us experience the beauty of the musical response. So Thank you. 
This is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform for what resonates in our own lives. For our online participants, participants, I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or in the comments if you are watching the recording later. I'll start with Zoom comments, and then we'll accept some comments from mic the microphone from in-person attendees, and then we'll return to Zoom participants at the end. So, so far, let me see. Helena says, thank you for the platform. I will be back next Sunday. Peter Bishop says, thank you for showing how all of the little challenges to trans add up to a major rolling back of human rights for, for everyone. I'll give folks a little bit of time to gather and share their thoughts on Zoom. If anyone would like to speak from here in the hall, you um, can step to the mic and leave space between each other for physical distancing. I encourage you to start with your first name, perhaps share your pronouns, and be mindful of our inclusivity as we share together this morning. And so folks can feel free to step to the microphone if they would like. Thank you, Lynn, for such a powerful platform service. It's also, um, like I said, the strength, our own strengths in our community. How teamwork and how we can It's better isn't Staying on the first platform team. Yesterday I was on the Revolution 17. I'm not sure what it's going on tomorrow. Thanks, Ed. Good afternoon, good morning, everybody. Again, um, I was struck by three things this morning. Uh, one, the uh, story is as follows. Uh, the exact polar opposite of my experience with school and athletics. Uh, I wish that I could have had uh, such an experience as I've learned in the story. And uh, at one point, I toyed with the idea of a self-inflicted wound to spare that interrogation, but I found it was more difficult to cause a self-inflicted wound than it is to 
just had an accident. You know, oops. Um, secondly, do you find it interesting as I do that these people who are against trans and anti-gay legislation are the same people who resist the COVID vaccine? After all, you can't tell me what to do with my body. And um, I think the third thing, um, this is a lot of news about Florida's so don't say gay here. And I heard before I had the argument today that confirms that the most direct result of this was that teachers are now terrified because they don't know what they say, if what they say or can get implied or banned from the professional gathering of the state. And the teacher uh, one teacher of uh, kindergartners who said the most frequent question she gets asked is, quote, is it snack time yet, unquote. Um, and if, if the subject comes up about, well, there's some families that uh, are, are family mommy and daddy, and some families have two mommies, and some families have two daddies. If that teacher said that, yeah, she could get fired, she could get that profession. So let's be very careful about this sort of idea that the courts, uh, you know, age, Age appropriate. Yeah, who decides? Who decides? Thanks, Jeff. I'll uh, go back. There are a few more comments in the chat. Peter Bishop adds With the challenges to democracy, the Supreme Court, and war in Ukraine, I've been thinking that the challenges to abortion rights and trans rights have been lower priority. But Lynn showed how we must stand up to these challenges as well. Terry Bider adds, laws that treat anyone as second-class citizens are evil, and those that harm children are doubly so. Thanks for a very powerful platform, Lynn. Cynthia Goodman says, parents' rights, question. What about the rights of the LGBTQ children to be free to be themselves and not be treated abusively by others for being different? These laws are so backwards. So... Thank you for that. And I'll just take a point of personal privilege to say that as the parent of a queer teen, I deeply appreciate this community for what you offer in terms of a respectful and supportive community. And I beg you to make sure that that is available to all you. Thank you to all who shared their thoughts and attention. Just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, we split the Sunday collection between our operating budget and to a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. This month, half of the offering is dedicated to Manor Food Center. Manor Food Center strives to eliminate hunger in Montgomery County, Maryland, through food distribution, education, and advocacy. Mana Food Center makes an impact not only in food distribution, including 5.3 million pounds of food distributed in FY21, but also in community programs like Breaking Bread, which brings people together to solidify community and combat hunger. Their farm to food bank program supports local food system while also providing fresh, regionally grown produce to neighbors who experience food insecurity. The Smart Snacks program provides food on non-school days 
to students who qualified for free and reduced lunch and feeds over 3,000 children each week. Mammoth Food Center is rooted in the local community and makes a measurable difference in fighting hunger. So let's all take a moment to prepare to respond to the invitation to generosity. If you're someone who gives by text or are in front of a device where you can navigate to the donation page on our website, get out your phone or tablet and navigate to that page now. If you're here in person and find the ritual of giving cash or a check to be important to your experience, you can start writing your check or moving your donation to a different pocket. There's a basket at the back of the hall to receive your gift. Half of your undesignated gift will go to West, and the other half will go to our Share the Plate partner, Vermont. I'll pause for a moment so that all who are able can prepare to respond with generosity. On the slide, you'll see the number to give by text, which is 202-335-1885. And you can also make a gift online through the donate button on our website at epicalsociety.org. Thank you for your generosity. We will now receive your gifts and the musician's gift of music. Thank you so much to the many people who helped create this morning's time together. Thank you to our staff, Linda Irizari, Dara Miles, Robin Kravitz, Maceo Thomas, and Tom Hutton. Thank you to interim music coordinator, Leah, Tom Leah Morris, guest musicians, Ken Jansen, Abby and Kai Tennis Lovell, and Nefex, and West member, Jason Lang. Thank you to John and Abby Dakin, who created our slides. Thanks to Adam Goldberg for hosting the upcoming virtual coffee hour. 
Thank you to Zoom usher Paul Baker and tech team Pat McNeely, Denise Howell, and Michael Dinian, with an extra special huge assist this week from Robin Kravitz and Maceo Thomas, as we have contended with our absence of internet access. And nice video skills there. So. <laughs> Uh, thank you to our in-person readers, Basola Obatayo and Alex Abbott. At the conclusion of the platform, please join us for social hour in person around the foyer and out on the patio or virtual coffee hour on Zoom. And to get to that virtual coffee hour after our closing words, you can point your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. <coughs> Thanks also to those who are leading and supporting our work in the weeks to come. You can find information about opportunities to connect in the Sunday links or news and notes emails. But here's some of the latest news. So Sunday Ethical Education for Kids or SEEK upcoming classes include Our Whole Lives, which is our human sexuality curriculum and relationship building curriculum at noon today. And Coming of Age is meeting at 1 p.m. Next week, April 10th, the 35th grade class will meet in person at 10.30, as will the high school youth group. Seat classes will be on spring break on April 17 and 24, and the classes that we can offer for our children and youth are impacted deeply by the availability of volunteers. And if we ever needed any convincing of the necessity of that support, today was the day we learned deeply about that. So if you can assist in that way, please contact Indara Miles and help to make ethical education happen or sign up for the SEEK newsletter. And there are also links in the chat for those who are remote. For in-person visitors who are new to us, you can join membership coordinator Maceo Thomas at the Social Hour following platform to learn a little bit about who we are and what we do here and to get your questions answered. Online visitors, you can contact Maceo to set up a time to talk and visit virtual coffee hour to meet some of the members who are with you on Zoom. Our annual pledge campaign concludes this week with a final pledge party this afternoon at 1 p.m. hosted via Zoom by Lauren Strange. Pledges are due by Friday, so please be sure to actively complete your pledges so that the staff and the finance team can create a reliable budget in time for members to review it before voting. Other groups meeting this week include the Mindfulness Group on Monday at 7.30, the Improv Group on Thursday at 7.30, and the TGIF Adults Online Check-In is on Friday at 5.30. If you'd like to join the Chorus Workshop on Wednesday at 7.30, this will be session two of four, but no problem if you missed the first one please contact Perry Bider for more details or come to the hall at 7.30 on Wednesday. We are singing together, but masked, so it's very exciting evolution. We come together each week for hybrid platform with attendees both online and in person. Those who wish to attend platform in person should RSVP at tiny.cc slash platform reservation. In-person attendees will need to bring your vaccination card or a picture of that and online attendance will continue to be available for the foreseeable future. You are always welcome to tune in by Zoom. Next Sunday, April 10th, Lynn Cox will speak on the topic of awakening. Changes around us, cultivated attention, and moments of surprise 
Each present opportunities to bring our awareness to the present moment. Let us awaken to the splendor of this world. Join us next Sunday at 1030 in person with our SVP or Zoom to continue the conversation. As you can tell, there's a lot going on. You can get all the details on the calendar with upcoming events on the West website. But for one more special update, here's Susan Runner from the Leader Search Committee. Good morning. Good morning. The Leader Search Committee is excited to report that we have a terrific candidate for the senior leader of Washington Ethical Society. We can't wait to introduce them to you, and which we will do in another email once the final contract negotiations are completed. In the meantime, please mark your calendars for candidating week April 24th through May 1st. The candidate will deliver the platform addresses on either end of the week, and between those days, there will be multiple opportunities to get to know our candidate. After May 1st, this first after the May 1st platform, a special membership uh, meeting will be held to vote on calling the candidate. Details on the meeting will be provided by moderator Sonia Peppers. Please, again, the search committee thanks all of the well the West members to, who filled out the survey last fall and participated in the focus groups and cottage meetings. Your involvement is critical and was critical in shaping our understanding of West's needs and aspirations and in painting a picture of West that attracted multiple strong applicants. But the most important steps remain. We urge all of you to attend a candidating week platform and events and vote on May 1st. We're so excited. Thank you, Susan. This is indeed excellent news. And a special thanks to our very, very hardworking search committee. <laughs> indeed. And thank you all for being part of Platform this morning. Now let's enjoy our closing song of the month.
A few brief reminders as we close. If you're new to our community, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, and introduce yourself or check him out in person if you're here. <laughs> to reach virtual coffee hour, point your browser to tiny.cc slash blessed coffee hour. And now I invite you to join me in our closing words for the month. Let us go out into the world, into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, awakening to the gifts and the responsibilities of the ethical manifold for our hearts and for our quest for a better world. Thank you for being here. We look forward to connecting with you again soon. I have a